0: Welcome to Building the Oracle, a podcast about two dudes building a publishing house and film studio from the ground up with two pickles and one Rick. I'm your host, Jay Swanson.
1: And I'm Richie Pilkey.
0: And today's guest is one of the biggest mentors from afar and supporters of my writing career, Jane Friedman. Jane is one of the foremost experts in her field. And today we talked a lot about the current state of publishing and where it might be headed through and after the COVID-19 landscape, but even more importantly, touched on a lot of her own personal experience. Yes, yeah, she did. Um,
1: really interesting, actually. I think it, it... Uh, I felt it mirrored a lot of your own experience too. So it was really interesting to talk to her about that. Um, And she also had some very on-point publishing advice for us, even if it wasn't necessarily the advice you wanted to hear. That's always the best kind, (laughs) unfortunately. If you've
0: ever thought about querying agents or publishing your own book, Jane's website, janefriedman.com, and her book, The Business of Being a Writer, are both absolute necessities and if you can jump on the hot sheet it's her newsletter and it is phenomenal i can't stress this enough if you want to be a professional writer you should just dive into jane's body of work there's no better today
1: no better resource out there for getting across
0: absolutely not and speaking of diving into jane's body of work let's dive
1: into this conversation
0: that with jane friedman that we course. had <laughs> despite all kinds of technical difficulties we managed to make it work here we go Welcome to Building the Oracle. I'm your host, Jay Swanson, and today we're joined by author, presenter, and publishing guru, Jane Friedman. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jay. Like I've already said, Jane is a lot of things, but above all, she's known for her publishing acumen and expertise. Jane runs an award-winning publishing newsletter for authors, The Hot Sheet, which has been highlighted as the industry standard for understanding publishing trends and the market at large. Her long-running blog is the online mecca of publishing advice, and if you don't believe me, you can Google how to query an author, among other things, and see who comes up at the top of the results. She's spoken at hundreds of live events, including the Writer's Digest conference, which she was responsible for launching and which I assume was running right up until COVID brought it to a halt. She's also a columnist for Publishers Weekly and just launched a new conversational online lecture series called Sunday Business Sermons in hopes of diving even deeper into her expertise to help authors develop their business during the crisis. It's free if you want to sign up and jadefreeman.com. Basically, Jane is a one-stop shop of writer's wisdom. Every time I talk with her or read any of her work, I feel energized and inspired, and I'm fortunate to be able to call her a friend and a mentor. Jane? Welcome to Building the Oracle.
2: Thank you so much. It's a very generous introduction.
0: It's probably... I actually could have gone even longer. I mean, the, the, amount, of, the amount of accolades you have.
1: Let me, let me go there. Let me go a little bit further because I've got a personal um, thing there too. I, I've only just met you tonight, Jane. Um, it's a real pleasure. Um, but I, I do want to mention, I, I, I feel the need to sort of second everything Jay's just said about you there in that introduction. But I also want to emphasize for everyone listening just how much uh, Jane, that you contribute to the writing and publishing community. I've, um, I've got a pretty diverse experience in book publishing back in Australia, uh, working with, uh, I've worked with Random House and academic publishers, indie publishers, authors, bookstores, online bookshops, uh, book distributors, um, Samsung, and um, running the ebook store. And in every single case, you are always one of my most reliable sources of information, news, ideas, and resources. Um, so I'm actually sort of kick off the questions here. I'm really interested in how you see yourself. Um, in the industry? what what How do you describe your role? Are you a journalist, an author, a consultant, a speaker? You're a publishing guru, as Jay calls you. How do you describe your job and your role in the industry?
2: Well, it depends often on the context or the environment that I'm in. So if I'm just sitting behind my desk at home, like I am now, I generally consider myself either a consultant or a journalist. So a consultant, the people who are trying to navigate how should I publish next or why isn't this working or what what's a long-term career strategy that's going to be right for me. Or if I'm doing my newsletter, The Hot Sheet, you know, I'm trying to gather as much information as I can about what's happening in the publishing industry right now, That stuff that matters to authors. So everything is definitely going through the author's lens. I'm thinking about how they earn money, how that may, might change, how publishing is changing in a way that authors need to know about.
0: I was just going to say, you know me and how uh, disinterested in querying agents I am from a per- from a personal <laughs> standpoint. To fight the fact that I've fallen down that hole, um, but so like today, I'm I'm actually that that leads us into Richard's question, leads us into what I'm personally a lot more interested in hearing from you as well, which is your story on how you started out bringing a print media company into the digital mm-hmm. age, how that eventually landed you on airplanes flying all over the world, and. Like creating and speaking at events. I mean, that you you were fully booked this year before COVID hit. I know, and uh, and now you're not traveling around the world like you normally would. But how did you get started? Uh, you know, hanging out at a publisher uh, to being a globetrotting guru that you are. We can stop calling you a guru at any point too. It's just it's just like feels like it's the catch all that we need.
2: I started in traditional publishing, as you mentioned. I was at a pretty print centric company. But importantly, they were not, um, let's say, bookstore-focused or library-focused. They were were consumer-focused, which is actually pretty unusual for a publishing company. And so that made the difference in their ability to adapt to the digital landscape because they understood their readers or their audience. And the company was able to take what it offered in more analog forms and then adapt um, to online. So for instance, in the year 2000, they took the correspondence schools that they had for writers and artists and turned them into online classes long before, you know, online education was kind of the thing it is now, especially during COVID. Um, And they had, for instance, one of the largest databases of publishers ever, like it's been going since 1920, Um, this huge system of all the places you could publish and it would you know come out every year in this kind of telephone book like publication that people were willing to pay you know thirty dollars for and again in the year 2000 this was kind of a magical year for the company and I, I was there at the time they they made a huge push to get it all online and available as a subscription service again long before people were talking about subscription services so you know the company was innovative in 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 this unusual way, and that like they actually followed what consumers wanted, which publishers don't often operate in that manner. So, to get back to the start of this question, you know, I came in uh, in the late 90s and then was eventually put in charge of the Writers Digest community. And when I was kind of as I climbed the ladder, um, it was probably, you know, you're getting closer to 2010 and the advent of social media and some really dramatic shifts in the industry, like to Amazon ebooks, um, all of this stuff was starting to heat up. And I was in an interesting position because I, uh, when I started working with Writer's Digest, I was put in charge of the self-publishing beat. So I was the staff member responsible for knowing what was happening in that arena. Um, uh, and I, that was one of the very first conferences I went to was an ebook publishing conference called Epic. It doesn't even exist anymore. And so I met all of these movers and shakers, uh, at the time, this was before the Kindle. Um, public, the, the biggest publishers aren't even in business anymore. Uh, that that were attending, and so I I found myself kind of as a bridge, a bridge between kind of the analog and digital pieces of the business, between traditional and self publishing, between author and agent, and so it gave me a 360 degree view of of what was happening and what was changing. And it, it was just very valuable given where the industry was headed, which I think, as you know, it's it's the independent authorship has exploded and eBooks are now quite critical to to the overall business model.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how did that... So I'm actually fascinated by that, the 360 degree view. was How long did it take you to get that view? Because I feel like it takes a long time to really understand any given group of people, their needs, their frustrations... And now you're talking about six different groups of people, all of whom <laughs> do interact in one way or another, but have conflicting desires and like even like even conflicting myths about each other, right? The way that they talk about oh, the yeah. different groups. How yeah, did you so How many... did you synthesize that?
2: Yeah, and you know, so many of these groups feel like they're in opposition to one another, which sometimes Absolutely, frustrates yeah. me. You know, it's like let's, you know, ultimately we're all kind of trying to achieve the same goal and getting all tribal, and um, it just. It still frustrates me because there's still a lot of that 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 goes on, of course. Um, And I haven't even gotten into the divide between the commercial people and the literary people, right? Um, (laughs) So everyone's kind of got their camp where they feel comfortable and sling arrows at the other one. Yeah. Uh, In any event, so I think going, you, you mentioned how I go off to all these conferences, which is true. I've been on that kind of track since the beginning, since 2001. And... I've just been exposed to so many different communities in that way. I think it's hard to grasp entirely what they're about, just being online or just publishing a magazine or just being at a publishing company. But once you're listening to those different panels or you're at the lunch table with people griping about this or that, uh, you see how the concerns that people have, you see the different agendas of the speakers and the people who are exhibiting. And um, I just went to so many different events where the agenda was slightly different and it depended on who was hosting, the sort of speakers they invited. And so I didn't, I, I feel it personally just very um, egalitarian and very like agnostic toward what's better. I don't think traditional is better. Or I don't think self-publishing is better. I don't think commercial is better or literary, et cetera. I don't think agents are evil. I don't think publishers are evil. <laughs> so like <laughs> I can see how they all can come together and I can see that there are pros and cons to what everyone is doing. So I guess that's the Libra, you know, maybe I, I, I'm a Libra that might help, uh, but I don't I it was I never felt like I was maybe part of this is what is also my writer's digest background, because we, you know, we tried to take a fairly neutral stance as a brand as to how authors published We were really trying to educate and provide a service and help people make the best decision for them. So that really worked well with my personality, because I'm not someone who I don't really want to be in the position of trying to persuade you I'm right. I would like to help you understand your position and then help you make the right decision.
0: It's a really valuable way of going about it. And I'm actually curious then too, and I can I've definitely seen that. Like you're you're such a thoughtful and a thoughtful person and a good listener. I'm curious if all of that experience also helped you to craft your own conference. Cause you made a conference for writer's digest that, like we said, I think was still going until recently, right? Like it was, it's only been stopped because everybody had to stop. Is that right? And what was that experience like?
2: The, the writer's digest conference started out as this weird little event that we did in partnership with book expo America. And what happened was it's such a strange origin story, at least for me, is that the, the guy who managed the education program at Book Expo, he's like, you know, we thought we might bring writers in before we open up the exhibit floor and maybe we'll have some agents sitting up there and we'll invite people from the audience to pitch. Um, and this just this it was only like a one day program. And it was yeah. very um, I mean, it had quality people, but it was not that well thought through so it sounds the, terrifying <laughs> so when we had the um kind of this panel with the agents and volunteer to pitch like there was an onslaught of people trying to you know in 45 minutes pitch their book uh imagine 500 writers in a room all wanting to. oh my talk gosh about their book. <laughs> it was I mean it was yeah so every year after that we did it again but with a much better um a better program or structure in place. And then finally, well, I mean, it wasn't that long. it was maybe only four years into it. We broke off from B- Book Expo and decided we would we were ready to be all grown up and do our own event that lasted three days. Um, and so we Book Expo is usually in New York City. And we decided to keep it in New York City because that makes it so much easier to get access, obviously, to the agents and editors and other people in the industry who could hear those pitches. And to this day, that event is still at the center of that conference, the the pitch slam, where you've got the three minutes to pitch. But now it's not a panel. like You have these one-on-one engagements and the anxiety is sky high and... Um, you know, is the anxiety it, a,
0: higher one-on-one than it is doing that in front of an entire room of people?
2: Mm, I don't know. I guess it depends on your personality. I guess but so. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you can feel the comfort of of a room full of writers. Almost, maybe they're standing in solidarity with you, or, <laughs> or I don't know. That might be optimistic. Um, but that you know, I have a love-hate relationship with these pitch events because I think that writers pin their hopes on getting like they want this make or break it moment to happen to them or i, I don't yeah. know they have these unrealistic expectations and i think it's a great learning experience but it's really unlikely you're going to sell your book at one of these things
1: yeah. yeah um actually that speaking about the sort of the unrealistic expectations of writers i know you've been giving writers advice for a long time through writer's digest and obviously through uh all you know your website and your blog and everything there and i'm, I'm just wondering actually um, how the you know the COVID experience here now, um, whether or not that's changed a lot of the advice that you're you're giving, or um, is yeah is there is there, um, is there something that's come out now just recently or the, in, in this moment in 2020 that's that's really you're finding yourself changing the advice that you're you're giving out there, mm-hmm. or are the questions changing that you're getting?
2: Many people are worried about. W- should they be submitting right now like in terms of acquisitions are publishers still signing contracts do they still want to see new books and yes they they do and a lot of that's driven by the fact that publishers are acquiring two years out so they're you know they're not really going to push pause on that they might be a little more selective they might be more risk averse um but generally i think it's it's fine to submit now you shouldn't necessarily hold off um for those authors who already uh, are under contract and they have a book coming out in the near future, let's say in 2020, there's a lot of anxiety, of course, about how do you market and promote during a time like this. Uh, and so there's all sorts of, I think, wonderful resources and educational efforts coming to the fore now from publicists, from agents, from publishers to help authors, you know, look for the opportunities to pivot, um, to be, to turn. Any sort of uh, bricks and mortar events into online events to look at how they can shore up their online presence and be strong for the time that their book launches. To to look at how they can better reach readers directly. I think, as far as the industry is concerned, like the what's the future for the industry? How will it change as a result of what's happening? I mean, obviously, it, it's it's still unclear. Like, there's so much we don't know, but the initial signs are that. You know, book sales that they aren't all that affected. They're like maybe one percent off uh, through the first quarter. Yeah, that's what's really surprised me. Um looking yeah through the, yeah through the face, exactly. yeah. Um, but they've all—I guess—they've all, I, I guess so all shifted
1: online rather than brick and mortar. But um,
2: exactly, exactly. So I think you know the mix of sales where they're happening has changed, but I think it's also um, opened people's eyes to the fact that you know, bricks and mortar stores were never that big of a percentage of sales anyway Uh, yeah (laughs) um so there's also that
1: i've actually noticed that you know just preparing for this interview and and going back and and um there were a lot of similarities between uh jay's career and your career in the sense that i I think you've you've both become much more um uh, diverse around the way that you put content out and the way that you um you know your revenue. Base. I was gonna
0: say, Jane's much more reputable than I am, so I'm just
1: trying to build you up a little bit here, buddy. Just I appreciate yeah. that, I appreciate that.
0: Just just before Jane cringes too hard, well, no, I, what I
1: mean, I, I guess in, in general, I think this is this is what writers are having to do now is is diversify. They're they're, they're no longer sitting, uh, you know, punching out that manuscript and then waiting for the revisions to come back and, and doing that, they're, they're, they're having to foster diverse ranges of uh you know of revenue streams and different um you know try to go out there and, and meet their audience online and in different channels and these sort of things and um you know you jane you when you when you said before how you describe yourself you're wearing a lot of different hats and that that means uh putting yourself out there on a blog and and doing podcasts like this uh going to speaking events and i'm interested how you know this this uh what you've just described there and under the the um recent situation of, of having to treating this like an experiment where you've said, okay, well, how, wh- what does my life look like without the speaking events and how does that change mm-hmm. the cash mm-hmm. flow and things like that? You know, this is something that I think you've been doing. I remember um, uh, an interview you had with Jo and a pen um, where you discussed this when your book came out a few years ago um, about, and, and, and she talks about this a lot as well, um, about really having to look at each different activity that you do and, and, and analyse and say, mm-hmm. well, hang on, is that, you know, is... Um, you know, do the speaking events actually, uh, you know, where right. is the value for them? And, and, you know, is it worth me doing these or am I better spent, um, throwing money at Facebook ads or, you know, like where, you know, mm-hmm. having to really, uh, writers of, of all stripes, whether they're journalists or whether they're fiction or whether they're, you know, writing academic or whatever, are having to have face these, um, decisions. And I, I'm wondering how you have, have gone about that, um, over the past several years and what you've learned from that experience.
2: Yeah. I recently saw, I, I don't remember the source, but it was a really good question for for people like myself or Jay or you, where you ask yourself, "What does my ten dollar an hour work look like? Hundred dollar an hour, and thousand dollar hour? What what's that? If you analyze the ways the ways you spend your time, um, and up until about a year ago, I spent so much time on what I would call like the ten dollar an hour." kind of work. And it was mainly because I'm just one person, you know, and I'm doing all of the customer service and administration and and all of these other things that, yes, I could outsource it. I could hire an assistant. Um, I won't go into all the reasons I didn't really do that. Um, but something serendipitous happened a year ago, which is uh, my partner, who is now my husband, lost his job. He used to work for the same company that I did, uh, the corporate Parent of Writer's Digest, uh, known as FNW Media, no longer exists. So they're gone now, and he lost his job. And we kind of looked at the situation we were in. I mean, it was nice to have the health insurance, right? But how much better would my life become if he was willing to join my business? And, And that's what he did. So right away, I was able to push off all of those like $10 an hour, $20 an hour, and even some $100 an hour tasks over to him so that I could focus more on things that really only I can do. And so when I look at what are the things that I do um, that bring income, they fall into two buckets, which if you've studied online entrepreneurship, everyone's heard of these two buckets. You've got the stuff that's scalable and the stuff that's not. (laughs) Uh, And everyone's looking for the passive income, right? So um, especially scalable passive income, where the more people you come that come in through the door, it, it's the same amount of work for you. And so my, my business in the last few years, especially, has been this struggle between how do I move more things over to the stuff that's going to scale up more comfortably? And my paid newsletter, The Hot Sheet, is definitely what I've had my eye on. I mean, I started that back in 2015 with a business partner, um, Journalist, Porter Anderson, and he works in the industry. He's the editor of Publishing Perspectives, which is an international um, news site for publishing. But we parted ways on that business last year. Um, and you know, now that I have my husband on board, he can handle like a lot of the back end and customer service for that, while I just focus on the writing. And so that's been very positive. And since um, since COVID hit, I've had more time to look at the business development for that. So like. I finally, like after five years, I set up like an onboarding sequence for new subscribers. Like you know, like a three-message sequence explaining, "Here's what Hot Sheet does. Here are some examples of the things that you're going to like." And uh, I just didn't have that. It was kind of like if people didn't get it right away, you know, they they fell off the list without subscribing because there's a free trial. I just um, actually Um, I just had that
1: experience yesterday because I resubscribed. Um, I. I was a subscriber way back way back when, um, when I was back at Samsung in Australia. And uh, yeah, I got all those emails last night. And um, I must admit, I, I, I read them all. I was like, wow, this is really well done. And also you had a nice touch in them in that you uh, you, you you made sure that you said, oh, please reply to these emails. You were very inviting to, you know, come into my inbox, you know, like send me emails. There's yeah. a real person behind it. It's Jane. You right. know, I'm Jane. I'm, I'm here. I'll respond. And, and you did. You were very responsive to an email sent back to you last night as well. So... Um, yeah, I think that was, uh, a very good improvement, um, or, you know, a, a wonderful a addition to the, uh, the hot list. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So exactly that, like doing that just required me not traveling, <laughs> which is kind of insane, you know,
0: Jane, I was going to ask you how that reevaluation that you're going through right now might change the way that you go about doing your business in the future.
2: Uh, yes uh there there there's so many different honey pots uh well i mean i love travel so that's a problem you know yeah um so if if there's a (laughs) conference in some place i haven't been especially if it's not in the united states it's kind of like absolutely i'm going um and i I have to stop that because at this point with with the hot sheet i'm actually trying when things get back to what normal, whatever normal means, I do want to start going to more industry events where I'm not paid at mm. all and I'm on my own dime, like London Book Fair, Frankfurt Book Fair, these these types of events, because it's so rich for my hot sheet reporting and for me making better industry connections so that when I mm. need to get someone on the record about something, they're more likely to answer my email or phone call. They have to, those things really take, I think, some in-person connections to really develop Strong industry content. If I just email them cold and they haven't really heard of me before and they don't know that, you know, I'm in the industry, they may just feel free to ignore me. Um, so yeah, the, And I think there are some events where they are so they are so nice. Um, there are people that I've known for a long time. They're also paying me really good money to come out, but they're also holding an event really just to have me come and speak. Like it's Aww. the Jane, Jane Friedman show. And that's that actually is of almost no benefit to me except ego stroking. Like that's it's just, <laughs> it's not, you know, I certainly I'm educating some people, right? Like I'm teaching them something. It's very satisfying, but it's not necessarily doing anything for my business. Like it's not moving my business forward unless I consider... You know, just the fact I got a nice paycheck out of it, but I'm not I'm not that money driven. So
0: so what you're saying is if we want you to come to Paris, we have to have a Jane Friedman show, but mask it in something more (laughs) journalistic, pay you really well, and then promise you lots of croissants.
2: I don't know we'll that just, we'll you just put could, a it on the wouldn't Eiffel really Tower. matter if it yeah. was Paris, I would be coming regardless. Oh. That's, I'm not, oh, I'm perfect.
0: <laughs> Scrap all that other crap. You can pay <laughs> your own way. We're, good, we're looking forward <laughs> to having you here.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I certainly echo that, you know, I got into the industry, into the, the, the publishing or book selling industry because of the people. Um, I fell into it. My father uh, started a bookshop and asked me to manage it for him. And it was the, that community in Sydney, mm-hmm. um, the, the other independent booksellers in Sydney that, that sort of made me stay in that industry and and it's it yeah. just went from there and and yeah i absolutely you know the the travel aspect yeah. to it i mean this is your life as well this is it's not just your business it's your life so you do have you to you uh, read my problems, mind yes, i think and and
0: Speaking of books, publishing your own books, I published my own book, I published a lot of my own books, I published nine of my own books, which is way too many of my own books to have published. However, the most recent is something that you might be interested in. If you've ever wondered how it is I got to Paris, how I managed to find the time to write books in the midst of living in West Africa and flying all over the United States and winding up in France and not knowing if I'd be allowed to stay in France or was I allowed to work in France? Am I allowed to love and live in France? We don't know. But if you want to find out. You can do so by reading my book, Sea of the Unknown, which is currently available off of my website, jswanson.me, or for download on your Kindle at amazon.com. If you want to give it a chance, that's Sea of the Unknown by Jay Swanson at jswanson.me. And now, back to our conversation with the wonderful Jane Friedman.
1: Okay, so um, Jane, I'm not sure if Jay actually filled you in on the real conceit podcast um but this is the part of the podcast where we brazenly just ask for some expert advice on our own independent publishing venture that we're embarking on um so you're good with that absolutely great excellent um i always i always like to ask um so can you imagine if she just like hung up (laughs) (laughs) that that also been really good that would have been good but um would have left us in a bit of a lurch um so just to bring up the speed I'm, i'm not sure um how much you know about Jay's background. I know you're familiar with Jay's work and, and what he's been doing, but um just to set the scene, uh Jay's written and self-published what, nine novels now? Jay? Nine, ten, nine? Yeah, it sounds about yeah, right. In the Oracle of the Dread Gods universe. What? Uh he's experimented with uh, multiple different publishing options, including there's uh, real time blogging, uh audiobooks, Kickstarter, ebooks, print on demand. Um, you know, he's really, you know, run the gamut. he's really tried to throw everything at this. Um He's written his million words, basically uh, probably more than a million words in this. So he's he's you know done his apprenticeship and he's developed a very strong indie publishing skill set um, by by you know his web design and you know all the marketing with it. So you know he's done all this also while vo- vlogging daily and attracting a wonderful, very loyal audience on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. So you know we really know we're quite confident that Jay has what it takes to write and publish a high quality product um, to do it regularly and to build an audience around it. So that's sort of where I came on board with Jay's at this point. And I'll I've slip been, here 20 yep. later. <laughs> um, now he's contemplated in the past going through digital publishing. Uh, he's contemplated it many times uh, and he's been tempted, but he keeps coming back to independent publishing because he wants to keep control of his publishing program and the universe that he's building. And it's, it's a really big universe. It's a, um, and a, and a big publishing program around it. So he's already mapped out about 50 books, which scares the hell out of me, But uh, you know, and his long-term goal has always been to make films out of these stories down the track. So it's a very lofty goal that he's, he's put out there, and that's always been in place too. So this is where we are now. Jay has unpublished all of those original stories that were already out there in various forms, and we're in the process now of re-editing those and, and readying them for a re-release under the banner of a, a new umbrella publishing brand Um, and it feels to me like Jay's right on the precipice he's he's done his 10 years of grinding hard work um, to you know work on his craft his writing now is much better than it was when it started and I think he's you know at that point where he's ready to become that overnight success you know that that 10-year overnight success Um, at least that's sort of where we hope the story will go from here so I know that you've you know you've been in touch you've, you've seen um, a lot of writers come and go, and a lot of small publishers start up and and fail to succeed. And I'm just I'm just wondering. My first question for you is, have you witnessed any other indie publishing success stories that feel similar in the build up to Jay's story? Um, and if so, like, and, and I'm talking here about an indie author or an author who who isn't content with just publishing their books, but has has a very big vision and wants to control it and really build a, a strong publisher brand out of that. Um, and if you've got any examples of that, like, what do you think was the success, um, the, the secret source of the success.
2: Yeah. So, small question there. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Jay, last time I, I looked at your books, I mean, I remember the first one I encountered was into the Nanton. Um, yeah. And
0: I remember that conversation very yeah. well. Cause I was at the top of a very lonely tower in Springfield, Illinois.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you're still writing, what I would consider genre fiction. Is that right? They're all genre fiction books.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they. With the exception of the most recent, which was a, basically a memoir.
2: So uh, how many, remind me the number of novels, was it nine Nine novels you said?
0: Yeah, I've written like 10 or 11, but we've got, I can look at the stack None next published. to me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yep.
2: And how many series are involved in those nine?
0: Uh... Oh, and those nine, uh, one, two, so they're three series and two standalone books. Okay.
1: But they are all in the same universe. But the
0: two standalone books, they're on the same universe, and those two standalone books tie into the Into the Nantan series. They're just shorter novels. Oh, one of them does. The other one doesn't. <laughs> okay. That's published. I wrote another one, but now we're just getting into the minutiae.
2: Okay. And when did the last one come out?
0: a uh, year ago off grid was the last one Basically and it was the first a... one a year to... mm-hmm. every year haven't you yeah. yeah
2: and did i hear richard right did he say you unpublished them all recently
0: yep. yep okay you can't buy them anymore
2: okay so that means you pulled them down from amazon you pulled them down from everywhere yeah okay
0: i'm sure that an industrious listener out there could find one or two out there somewhere but... okay
2: and Sorry if this is too many questions up front. I promise I will offer an answer. Uh, It's it's always
0: nice to be answering questions for once on the podcast. I mean, really.
2: Um, Tell me more about why you wanted to pull it all down.
0: Well, it's a combination of things. The first being that like my earlier writing is not worth having out there i think it does more harm than good and needs to be reworked one way or the other but overarching that also fits into the umbrella of wanting to canonize the world and the greater elements of the series before re-releasing them so if i have 50 books across a dozen series and standalone books and they span you know, 2,000 years of history within this universe. I want to make sure that the major touch points within that universe, uh, you know, especially the objective ones, um, are accounted for and yeah, canonized within the world building before committing to writing everything because I don't want to write myself into any corners. So that was the, the biggest motivator, was wanting to keep from having to retcon my way out of anything down the line and I'll,
1: I'll add to that as well um you mentioned into the nanton um that's actually the first book that we're, we're working on for re-release and that was originally written as a um that was the the real-time blog uh so that story was actually written and published uh live you know he, he was writing those you know daily um daily blog posts so uh the book as published really didn't get any 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 editing at all um mm-hmm. and it was a very ex- experiential thing so the people who who were in that experience and had that live experience of going through that blog, got that experience. But now if you just pick up the book, that, that blog experience, that that you know, having that um, the, the the story evolve over over time, you, you can't get that experience again. So, you know, for that book in particular, that series in particular, we wanted to, to pull that back, edit that and then and then find a different way to, to recreate that experience and, and have that as an experience that people can, you know, no matter when they pick it up, they can mm. they can have that experience again.
2: Mm-hmm. And at the end of these nine books, did you have a very specific mailing list of people who wanted more of your novels?
0: Not really. I I have uh, my mailing list has been become a uh, bit of a jumbled mess between everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have access to the people that backed the, the Into the Nint and um, Courier's books on Kickstarter. So I have access to certain groups for sure that would, be tar- that would be like very much specifically interested in that. But I think that's also one of the big frustrations and struggles with it has been that the audience building has been the hardest part. And that's where I've found more success in that on YouTube specifically it has really illuminated how stark that difference really is.
2: Now, if I remember right, you were going to some cons as well to sell your stuff.
0: Yeah, lots of them.
2: And so, did you end up getting um, any growth in your mailing list that way, or do you, could you reach out to those people again at this point?
0: A little bit. I mean, I collected I collected emails as I went, but not. Not a ton. I think that was one. that's one of those things. One of the things that I found, I mean, it was really hard. Like it's a grind trying to hand sell your own mm-hmm. self-published books at conventions, which is a great learning experience for about 20 different reasons. Um, but what it, yeah, not very many. And I think that that's also, again, like the contrast was really illuminated for me when I started, when I was doing bike tours here in Paris, actually. And I experimented between telling people that I was a writer in Paris and that I was, uh i didn't even actually directly tell people that i was a youtuber but at some point i would say oh hey does anybody have any problem being on camera today because you know I'm, i just i make vlogs on youtube and just in case i don't want to show anybody whatever and the difference in interest and interaction was night and day between you tell people you're a writer and people are like oh <laughs> leprosy huh and immediately move away from you (laughs) and then you tell people that you're you make videos on youtube and immediately phones come out Uh... and people like oh what's your channel i'll subscribe and so there's also a huge like we have some psychological barriers to overcome that are definitely showing themselves in this episode a little too because you know in investing you know because we were talking back when i was like what do i do the first time, because I met you through an online course before I ever actually directly contacted you, but then our first conversation was really like, this is all, everything I'm doing and I don't understand why nothing is happening. And I invested a decade, a million words, tens of thousands of dollars into these projects, especially into the Nantan was really expensive. Um, you know, and really when you look back at it, as you ask me those questions, it's like, yeah, I probably could dig up a few dozen, a couple hundred emails, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's insane. That's crazy, you know? So that's, yeah, I don't know. I just had to say that. That's my, <laughs> that's my
2: piece. <laughs> okay.
1: I, I think we've been going into, the, into this with the assumption that we're building up the, that science fiction audience from scratch again. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that, that there, there are still some, some fans uh, lurking around and waiting, but, but yeah, that it's, it's yeah. really, it's a rebuild.
2: Do either of you listen to the six-figure author podcast?
1: No. I no, but I'd list. love to meet her.
2: <laughs> so this is an excellent podcast that when I have time, I, I like to hear what these... There are three hosts of the show. Uh, all of them, I think, work... They all work in genre fiction. One of them, uh, Lindsay Broker, is science fiction fantasy... I think one is maybe romance and the other might cross into genres. They all, you know, they all have been publishing for quite some time. And, you know, you asked me about success stories or are are there any other authors that might be similar to Jay, you know, where they broke out? Or do you see this pattern in in what he's doing that leads to success? Um, And yes, I mean, generally, the more books you have come out, the closer you get, regardless the quality of those books assuming that you're staying pretty much in your lane in terms of genre or subgenre that's not to say you can't uh, do a different series in another genre but what you're really trying to do is acquire a readership that's going to stick with you for the next book you're going to release so I think the the weakness here is that Jay, you have these incredible audience-building skills over on YouTube, and you've also proven them through your Kickstarter and your, and your Patreon, which, you know, some of this ties into the YouTube, of course. Um, but as far as trying to get that same level of commitment from the people who read the books, it, it hasn't been there, or it hasn't, you have you don't have as strong of a, a magnet or a funnel or something that would keep those people sticky and keep them with you, Um and and why that is, who knows? I mean, they're it could be you weren't just disciplined enough, and g- grabbing those emails out of their hands, <laughs> or or or, <laughs> yeah. or holding on to them, um, or you know, who knows?
0: Tattooing them to my friends, yeah.
2: <laughs> but I would say that um, the the other factor that's come into play more recently, like let's say within the last couple of years. So definitely when I first talked to you, Jay, or first met you, this was not on my radar. I don't think it wasn't even possible. But now Amazon advertising has become kind of central to self-publishing authors' visibility and it sucks. I mean, I don't like it, but it's kind of part of the game now uh, to keep yourself um, surfaced on the site. You know, I don't know if you've noticed I've certainly have as an Amazon customer that I know I no longer get um, customers who bought this also bought or also looked at. They're totally they're books that are totally irrelevant to what I'm browsing. So it's actually really hard to find other books that maybe I would be interested in, and I haven't yet found the best one. Um, That is not good because those were those placements were not paid for. They were generated by uh, Amazon's best guess at what what you might want to buy so that me- it just tells me that there's much more product placement advertising stuff going on that and i think that that is to indie authors disadvantage um so anyway all of that to say that if you're going to relaunch the series or you're going to relaunch all of these books and you're going to like t- tighten them up or revamp them or improve the overall presentation or quality like absolutely I encourage you to do that. And I think you would be inspired by Sean Platt, who he started publishing his books uh, in collaboration with a couple other people in, I want to say 2011, 2012. And he's been very focused in doing, di- he dips into various genres, which is impressive. So, but always doing a series. And then it feels like maybe he either gets bored or the series run its, it runs its course and he switches to another series. Um, but you can kind of see how he revisited his early works. Like once he got into like, I don't know, six years in, seven years in, he went back to that very first series he did. It's called Yesterday's Gone. Totally new covers. Uh did, I don't know how much editorial work got done on it, but they look like so much more professional. They look like so much more like the genre and the the, the audience, like he was catering more to mm. what the audience was looking for rather than to what he thought looked good. Um, and I think that's always a big shift that happens. Like it can't just be about, I want this cool piece of art. Um, I'm not accusing you this, uh, uh, accusing Jay of this, but I do know you care a- about accuse art. Accuse away. <laughs> um, but you, you to appeal to readers uh, on Amazon, your book just has to kind of look like that thing that it feels like it feels like this is this is what they're looking for. And they're yeah, I, the Six Figure Author Podcast had a really great guest. I'm not going to remember the author's name, unfortunately, but he does military. I think military science fiction, or or I, definitely, it's a confluence of like military and science fiction fantasy. And he's kind of in this really niche, what I would consider a niche subgenre. And he was able to figure out, okay, the people who are really going to dig this, they're really going to have been fans of this and that movie, or they're really going to connect with these sorts of characters that they would have seen in these comics. And then they recreated that feel of those movies and comics right on the cover. And so he kind of talks about tapping into people's subconscious through those visuals. And it, just the whole way he, you know, he talked about really understanding who would love these books, he clearly knew. And it, and if I'm not mistaken, he was in the military, like he understood that community and how to reach them. So I don't, Jay, I don't know how much time of day you spent on thinking about who who is my reader and what's going to appeal to them. But it, to me, that might be one of the next steps in thinking about how you package the book. And then when you do release them, I would... Probably consider some sort of a rapid release schedule, which is pretty common now as well. Versus like ten years ago, uh, where you've got like a whole series, you get it all out within, let's say, three four months, depending on how many you've got. Like if it's three books, you could probably get it out in three months, because that also benefits you on the Amazon algorithm side of, of keeping you visible. So I'm going he's to gonna pause gonna there. I just dumped out a lot. Yep. On no, your
1: that, no, that no, that was wonderful. And um, I mean, if Jay's going to get great. fifty books out, he's <laughs> he's going to need a rapid release schedule anyway. But um, certainly I think the, the the thing that I came away there and is is just, you know, you have to play the game. Um, mm. You know, the customers are on Amazon and, and you have to play that game. And, and, you know, I know Jay's tried a lot of different avenues, um, but uh, Jay, I don't know, uh, honestly, how much time in those, you know, the original times did you, you really spend um, trying to game the, the Amazon algorithm or at least trying to... Well, yeah, not
0: much, no. Yeah.
1: yeah, so I think that's... That's well, part- no
0: specifically. I mean that's I was I was always focused more on the the creation process and that's definitely a weakness. And it, you're totally right as well as far as like not trying to craft the cover or the even the the like the sales copy to be something that would signal, hey, this is that thing you like. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as trying to distill the essence of the book itself as a unique entity, you know, like yeah, I was, I, I definitely suffered from a little bit of preciousness syndrome on those fronts. But also, um, yeah, no, I've just, I, I guess I was really resistant to jumping into the, the promotion game, which is unfortunate because that, that's definitely, that was definitely a big weakness. Mm-hmm. I think that's very accurately diagnosed. The real,
1: the real question, Jay, is. is- Is that going to be the the $100 an hour or $1,000 an hour work that you're going to give to me? (laughs) That's a great
0: question. Should I spend more time writing books or figuring out my um, Amazon advertising? But, you know.
2: Well, I think the good news is that if I, this is not a game I've cracked, by the way. So I'm just speculating. But just based on what I hear the six-figure author folks talking about, like once you understand that system, the advertising system, you get over that initial hump of how the hell does this work? Um, it's really, you know, just minor tweaks on an ongoing basis rather than reinventing the wheel each time.
0: Yeah. yeah and, that, and that's, I think there's a level of just needing to sit down and like well, basically what you're saying, just focus on it for half a minute and really pay the attention to it that it needs, right?
2: Yeah. The other thing that's come up that I know has been successful for some folks is uh, BookBub click ads. So not the featured deal thing, that. but the um the ads that sit below the featured deals uh david gogren has done a couple is it a couple books now well he's definitely got one book on BookBub ads yeah, he's and certainly how to got do that
1: a lot of a lot of data about it a lot of yeah. information about it there he's the the one i turned to on on all of that stuff
2: yeah so i've heard from some authors that they got nowhere with their BookBub ads but i know they work for some folks so that would be another thing to if you like if you really got resistant to amazon that might be another avenue
0: yeah i've definitely had mixed results from that in the past as well but i think uh, i think it also does come down to just the amount of it's i don't think that there's as much luck as we would like to put into it i think it does It's a matter, it's a skill, but it's also a matter of research and Mm -hmm. just doing the work. And so I think that that's something that I, that's an area that I could definitely get better. Another question that I had for you that's kind of along these lines, as things change and effort is put into certain things, margins and so forth, is specifically as well with medium, because we've had some interesting conversations coming into this about medium and like, do you go digital entirely? Do you continue to produce Paper, you know, does one influence the other that much? We've talked about how, as far as sales channels go, brick-and-mortar stores may not necessarily have that big of an impact on the market. Does paper have that much of an impact anymore? Or is that something that, especially on the independent level, you should avoid for its complications and, uh, and margin eating?
2: Well, I would definitely never do a print run. Like an offset print run where you run off five hundred a thousand copies, no, no way. um, but having a print on demand edition available is at this point it's almost as easy as having an ebook available and since Amazon prioritizes books that have more formats available, I think it's foolhardy not to just go ahead and do it unless it's more of a um what temporary sort of experiment sort of book where I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it's worth it to you to have something that would be available in print. I don't know, but most cases, most books, and certainly your books, Jay, you would still want to have a print-on-demand edition. I'm not saying necessarily even hardcover, although I would also advocate having the hardcover available too, just because I know that it, it makes your book look more robust in in the wholesaler and distributor systems. And then uh, then there's also audio, which I know you've got experience with that as well. And it can be quite expensive to do the audiobook edition, but it is the huge area of growth for everyone. Um, and the opportunities to sell audio are now growing outside of the Amazon universe. So the distributor that most Indies are using, it's Findaway Voices, you know, they're reporting a lot of growth in subscription services and libraries and so I think that's another opportunity not just for sales but for discoverability if if you have the funds to invest in in that format
1: I almost exclusively read audio now um my wife has a real problem with it she doesn't like when I say read audio um why um <laughs> she's just she's just one of those people um but with, <laughs> with children I just I just I just can't sit down and read a book anymore with two kids yeah. um yeah I just don't get the time uh and uh, yeah i mean the, the difficulty with audio obviously is is the cost of the production so it, it it always comes down to um you know is it is it profitable and does does this book uh you know can we predict that this or can we forecast that this is going to be a profitable book mm-hmm. with an audio version but um but yeah absolutely that's that's very central to i think what jay's done and and where he where we want to go with a lot of these yeah a lot of his stories um mm, I was not only
0: with the oh go ahead
1: no, no, you, you go ahead. Remember the, remember the question I was going to ask.
0: Oh, well, I was actually going to, I was going to tee one up for you because I know okay. that you have a personal branding question
1: regarding pets. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I was going to ask, actually. Um, so just totally separate to, uh, to Jay stuffy, this is just my own branding issue here. Um, your cat, Zilda, who mm-hmm. obviously deserves all the attention she can get, um, but seems to be pretty helpful around the office. Um, but also pretty willing to just you know stay in the background and let you you know be in the spotlight. Now I, I've got a dog. Um, his name's Gustav. He's um, become fairly popular on Jay's vlogs, <laughs> and and now I'm I'm pretty much known only as Gustav's dad um, to our <laughs> audience here. And at this stage, I'm I'm just really his photographer and social media manager. And I'm wondering, have you got any advice for how to uh, you know not let your pet take over your personal brand? Is it <laughs>
2: I would say, why not let it happen? I mean, that's <laughs> the easiest way to print money, uh, especially if maybe Gustav needs to go on a weight loss regimen.
1: Oh yeah, he does.
2: Oh so, yeah. oh my goodness, you are sitting the COVID, on the COVID jackpot. Is to I mean, <laughs> you need to be getting on Instagram and having Gustav weigh-ins and. Uh, oh man,
1: I didn't even think about that. You're a goldmine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exercise
2: yeah. challenges. Oh my goodness.
1: He does. Yeah, we we do. We do do a few things. The, the, the problem with that is that it means I've got to get up and exercise too. So <laughs> that could be a bit of a problem.
0: Got to see if he can fit back into that plaid jumpsuit that he's got.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's totally out of that now. That little, <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't even go around him anymore. Anyway, awkward stuff.
0: Jane, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you. And I'm just honored that you would take the time out of your crazy busy schedule to sit and talk with us for an hour. And uh, yeah, it's always, 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 always a pleasure. And I always leave these conversations with you recorded or not feeling energized and just inspired and somewhat comforted if a little bit, uh, you know, disconcerted with how much Amazon ad uh, education I need to do in the near future. Well, yeah, you're thank really you. have really breaking this out there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me it's always a lot of fun to talk to you
1: it was a pleasure to meet you jane thank you very much
0: I'm so glad to have had her on i think that she also teed us up really well both in the conversation then after we hung up uh or at least after we stopped recording and chatted for a little bit longer for our final episode which is going to be coming up in two weeks or the last episode of this first season of building the oracle and in discussing like where is it that we're going how are we going to because there's obviously a lot that's going on with the global crisis that's going on right now the shifting sands in publishing and entertainment and so many things have changed and uh, so many things have changed just locally in our lives um between even just being able to see each other and talk face to face and keep uh, up to date and so i i really appreciate that i don't know that, that a little bit i wanted to say lancement which is the french for you know the launch basically of that conversation which i really appreciate what was what did you take away from this besides having an opportunity to hang out with the amazing jane friedman
1: yeah, I, I think uh, I mean the, the the biggest advice that you know the actionable advice there is is really just she she honed in on on the marketing side of things there, and, and I think she honed in on the one weakness that that you've had yeah. in uh, you know your previous publishing uh, endeavors, which is to really take on Amazon and uh, you know all of that. Um, you know, it, it's pretty no no publisher, no author loves doing it. Um, uh, you know, you're very good at at direct to consumer. Um, marketing and, and, and building that audience directly um, advertising through Amazon advertising through Facebook advertising through bookbub these sort of things uh, you know they're not very palatable but uh, you know unfortunately that's that's the game um, yeah and you know we don't want to you know there, there's a lot of unethical thing going you know there's a lot of people who are trying to bend the rules and play the you know play the system um, that's not what we're talking about um, but you, you, you do need to Uh, you do need to be in that game and you do need to um, spend a lot of time on it it's like it's like building a website you need to you need to focus on your seo and your sem it's it's the 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 hygiene stuff that just has to happen and um it's it's not fun it's not um you know it's not why people write books to then go on and (laughs) and and try to you know figure out why you know amazon is is uh um, not putting your book forward or, or you know why people aren't, aren't discovering your book. Um, you're right because you want to connect with authors, uh, with, with readers and and, uh, and have a discussion about your work and, and um, but yeah, you know that's that's where we're going to have to focus a lot of work and that's that's obviously where you know I can add value and help you out so that you know you, you don't have that um, that burden on you. Um, so yeah, so I thought that was you know hearing that and 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 you know the ways you honed in on that so quickly uh, as well um i thought that was really she really she
0: me, knows me and all too well it's kind of like <laughs> it was kind of like it reminded me of steve our conversation with steve and how he honed in on the like yeah you got to really like actually clarify what the heck this is
1: um yeah, you right
0: know it's yep. so the same i mean it's in the same family of critique and i think that they're both very right and i think it those are definitely weaknesses that i have had and i also um i think you know it's fair because if readers on Steve's criticism, if readers don't know what the heck the thing is, why would they want to read it? And on Jane's side of things, you know, if, if they don't know it exists, uh, you know, how can they buy it? So those are both really, and and also if they don't think that it looks like the thing they would want to read. Um, you know, those are really, really critical components that I think are very, very important. And and I think that that's also a really good, the reason that it's a, a, a good a really good critique and not just like a nice pointer is because it's exactly what I uh, want to shy away from. Cause you're right. It's exactly what I don't want to spend my time doing. Um, which doesn't mean that it's not something that needs to be done. You know, it's like exercise or eating your kale. I got to mm. got a pony up and eat that kale and spinach sandwich sometime.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just do it as a smoothie, I guess, but, oh. um, you can make it more palatable, um, but yeah, the uh, actually those those two are interesting. You brought up the you know the blurb side of things as well because it, it's linked. Um, you know the way you write a blurb and and the way you construct your metadata and these things they they all have an impact on that. So um, you know it, it is a very um, it's almost a checklist that you have to go through and and, and make sure you're ticking a lot of these boxes. But um, the problem is half the time you don't know what boxes there are out of tick. Um, but you know that's saying that you know, talking to Jane reminds us that. Jane has a lot of resources on her website. Um she has a lot of uh, you know, a lot of these guides to just basically say, look, here are the here are the boxes you need to tick and this is this is how you can get the people have done the, the work for us. Um, That's true. Uh so you know, it, it's gonna be a lot of I and, and you know, I'll be honest, I I have done a lot of this in, in the past, but um it's been several years since I've actually really sat down um and done a lot of this sales and marketing um through the digital side of things. I I was doing this very early on. Australia with some of the first startups, you know, uh, in Australia and, and working with the metadata and doing that. So I understand the concepts, but the algorithms have changed a lot. So I, I need to skill up a little bit as well. I need to, to get my head back into that game um, for you, and, and you know, and see where other, uh, uh, you know Amazon is at the moment um, and where BookBub and these sort of places are because you know it, it keeps evolving and you need to keep up with it. Yeah,
0: I it's you're 100 correct, and I think that's also why it's great to have these conversations because I want to hear the stuff I don't want to hear um but yeah uh you know even though i don't want to hear it so it's really good to it's really good to get a little bit of medicine for sure, uh, and packaged in a delightful conversation, and I think that's also a great spot to leave it. In the sense that, I again, I would really highly recommend for anybody out there that's curious about querying agents or self publishing. Whether you're into traditional publishing, self publishing, whether you've wanted to write a novel or a memoir, or anything you've ever wanted to do in the in the writing sphere of things, um, Jane is is worth every second of your attention and more uh, that you could spend on her material so give her a look janefriedman.com and uh, richard will put that link in the show notes for you as well and if Thanks you just that. want an easy in to that she's doing live seminars on sundays like we said before as well uh, so if you wanted to jump in on that facebook group um again you can find that information on her website but go and just kind of chill and listen to her and, and and absorb all the wisdom that you can get your grubby little ears around And uh, can't definitely can't recommend that enough. Today's podcast is made possible by our magnanimous patrons whose contributions directly impact our work here as well as the future of the project. They are the best. A corrective shout out this week to our newest super patron, Jody Ferguson. He joins Kevin, Karen Bates, Mystery Man, Susan French, Dixie Rose, David Guy, Figure 7-3, Steve, Jane Baker, Timeless Founder Capital, and Mr. and Mrs. DJ Poser. Thank you also very much. Building the Oracle is mixed and produced by Zach Egan, co-hosted by Richard Bilkey, mascoted proudly by his four-legged companion Gustav, and is written and hosted by yours truly. Our theme music is Glory, and our ad music is Light, both by David Cutter, who you can also find and support directly on Patreon and our newsletter is assembled with love by our own kate weber don't forget you can support us at patreon.com slash dread gods whenever that itch grows too strong to resist don't forget to rate and review building the oracle on itunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts or gustav will swap out all your fast phone chargers for the miserably slow ones
1: ah that that's that's what's been going on with my phone charges that that makes sense explains a lot yeah (laughs)
0: my name is jay swanson and thank you again for listening tune back in in two weeks for our last episode of this first season and our next guest us until then keep making rad shit